0: White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 494. Hello and welcome to On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, brought to you by White Rocket Entertainment, in association with all of our great supporters via Patreon.com. I'm Van Allen Plexico, and I'm joined as always for these review shows, by my double-O partner, Alan J. Porter. Welcome back aboard, Alan.
1: Welcome, Van. It's been a little while, and uh, I think this one's going to be a little different as we sort of mark time until no time to die, maybe opens, maybe not. Or even (laughs) if it opens, we feel safe enough to go to a movie theater. So I think it's going to be a while before we can get around to reviewing that one. So uh, you and I talked about doing... uh, a little bit of retrospectives for each of the um, Bond actors and taking a look at their non-Bond career. So, uh, And we're going to kick off tonight with uh, Sir Sean Connery.
0: That's right, yeah. So the idea is that we we rounded up a passel of movies that Sean Connery did when he wasn't playing James Bond. And one thing that really jumps out at me, and we're just going to do brief reviews and discussion of them, I think I have a whole lot of fun. But one thing, Alan, that really jumped out at me kind of before we get into them is... He has worked really steadily forever, hadn't he?
1: Yeah, I was looking looking at his credits on IMDb and taking out sort of TV and voiceover stuff. He's done, I I reckon it was 70 movie acting credits between 1954 and 2003. Um, And he's done some voiceover work since 2003, including his last... Time Out was Bond uh, doing the voiceover for the From Russia With Love uh, video game. So uh, oh, wow. even after he retired from the movies, he still came back to Bond. Um, so yeah, he still did, you know, I think he's, he's uh, you know, done voiceover work until quite recently. I'm just a quick look uh, t- 2012. So eight years ago. So I guess he has retired, retired. Mm. But uh, yeah, a, a very long and illustrious career.
0: No kidding. Really amazing. And I have movies here that I'm going to talk about from the 70s, pretty pretty spread out among the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. And then you have them even going back further than that, right?
1: Yeah, I do. Yeah, right back to the beginning of his career. I thought what was interesting is when you and I first put this idea together, we were like, oh, we'll watch like two movies each and <laughs> talk about them. And then we, we started thinking, well, which ones are we going to do? And we both came out with these long lists of movies. <laughs> we couldn't just pick two. So, uh, you know, I think uh, we ended up with, what, seven each we're going to talk about. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk and,
1: about... And that, that's just a drop in the ocean. There's a lot of good ones we've left off. Even oh. talking about 14 movies, there's still a lot we could, lot more we could have talked about.
0: Absolutely, we're we're going to do 14 movies total tonight, so we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on each one. I figure we'll do some bare bones stuff about each one, and then if we if there's something interesting we want to kind of discuss about them, we can. But um, yeah, I mean, I was thinking there's so many that we're not even uh, going to include, and the funny thing about that too. Is that there are so many movies that he could have done that he didn't that were huge? Like he was the original choice by Peter Jackson to play Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings. Imagine if Lord of the Rings was one of our options. (laughs) Good lord, you know. So he always he he did kind of have a tendency to pick the pick the not so great movies over the good ones. You know, like you know he he chose to do League of Extraordinary Gentlemen instead of being Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. So. And he, and later he said he said I, he says later he said I always do the I always pick the wrong one here so you know that's how it goes but um, so let's see so I guess we want to dig right into it and so you have the earliest we ranked them in terms of chronological order and you have the earliest one so why don't you lead off?
1: Okay, yeah, I'm going to kick us off with um, his third ever screen credit, mm. um, where he played the well-known character uh, driver of truck number nineteen. <laughs> Um, It's actually a really good movie called Hell Drivers, uh, a British movie from 1957. Um, It's basically a crime noir story about a ruthless uh, operator of truck drivers who hires in ex-cons and then basically pressurizes them to drive at reckless, ridiculous speeds to deliver the heaviest loads in the fastest time. And basically, um, they're overseen by an evil boss. Um, Hmm. And Connery plays the driver of truck 19. Um, but I'll tell you early, even this early on, um, he's twelfth build on the. Uh, he does actually have a name, but I've forgotten it. But uh, <laughs> he's like twelfth build on, on, on the uh, on the credits. Um, but he already has a, a very powerful screen presence. You notice him when he's on screen, and even in the sort of the uh, mainly see him sort of in the ensemble pieces, like when they're in the cafe and the arguments are going on, and it gets a bit physical. But he's he's very much very present. Mm. in it uh, and very noticeable but one of the uh for 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 a geek this movie is just so full of awesome people because this is the only movie where james bond Ilya Kuryakin, the doctor the prisoner good heavens and the time traveler from war of the worlds and inspector dreyfus from the pink panther movies all get together
0: oh my goodness
1: So if you're if if you love geek history you, this is a this is a this is a great movie spot one uh yeah the uh, the the lead is actually Stanley Baker who played the time traveler in the uh, the excellent War of the Worlds uh, mm-hmm. adaptation um Herbert wow. Long, um who was Inspector Dreyfus in the the Pink Panther movies Patrick yep. McGowan yep. plays the evil uh foreman really uh yep uh William Hartnell the first doctor plays the guy who runs the organization. Um, wow. Uh, then you have Sid James, better known for the humorous carry-on uh, slapstick movies from Britain, but he actually plays a fairly a straight role here. Um, this is a very early role for uh, a very young David McCallum. Golly. Um, and actually also in it is Jill Island, the model who we actually met on this movie and ended up marrying um, and actually, also Gordon Jackson. If you ever watched the TV, well, either upstairs, downstairs, he was the butler. Mm-hmm. Or if you want something a little tougher, the Professionals TV show, where he was the boss of the Professionals. Um,
0: I so. b- can I? You're going to kill me. You're absolutely going to kill me. Yep. He was the chief inspector on Noble House.
1: Probably, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it always comes back to Noble House. It, always. <laughs>
0: it is the Rosetta Stone of all things that we talk about, Alan. <laughs>
1: it is so. I really must watch it one day. So. Yes, yes, you must. Well, when we do so, Pierce Brosnan, you will. Yeah. So I, I, I actually highly recommend the movie. One, it's an interesting one because it's early, very early in Connery's career, and you, you can see that sort of screen presence building. Two, because of just the cast. But actually, three, it's actually a really good, taut, noir um, thriller um, crime thriller, uh, a, p- a bunch of really unruly t- drivers, it doesn't sound like much um, but I, I highly recommend it and it's free, it's on Amazon Prime, you can watch it on Amazon well, Prime so.
0: there you go, I'm, I'm totally intrigued yeah, I'm, I mean with that cast yeah, so man, that's, that's,
1: that's <laughs> Hell Drivers from 1957 is my first pick
0: <laughs> you know it's funny, I understand the name is Hell Drivers, but I would also be excited to watch a movie called Hell Drivers from 1957 <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, actually. Yeah. That's a
0: great title.
1: <laughs> Hell Drivers contest. of 1957. 1957,
0: yeah. Oh, man, I love yeah. it. By the way, it's it. not,
1: not to be confused by the horrible American stock car movie called Hell Drivers. Make no. sure it's the British one from 1957. Yeah. We don't want it. that.
0: Right, right. No. We don't want that. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I'm going to dig on into my first one it, chronologically. Remember, we're going chronologically, not in order of how much we preferred or anything like that. And it's just be too difficult. And I just have to say, though, that when we first started talking about doing this, I just, you know, the first ones that came to my mind, I'm like, well, I'm sure there's, like you said, there's two or three that come to mind, and we we came up with 14 just like that, and I, like you said, I'm sure there's many more that we're forgetting, so if if you guys listening are like, I can't believe they're not including such and such a movie, we could have done a four-hour show <laughs> on Sean Connery's movies. These are just the first ones that kind of came to our mind as, ooh, I want to talk about that, you know, and, and the other thing that blew my mind, Alan, is that we both started cranking these titles out, and we weren't duplicating each other. Other,
1: like I was I, gonna say, that's what blew my mind. Was yes, we, I mean, we, we almost swapped lists in real time, and there was no duplicate. There was no, du- yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm like, Well, I know you're gonna want to do all of these, but blah 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 blah. And you're like, No, I have a completely different I'm like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> it was great! It was great. So, my first one up is a movie that I show once a year in my uh, military history college course that I teach. Because not only does it have such a great cast, it's an incredible cast, but because it shows the dangers of overconfidence and underplanning and a whole lot of things that can go wrong. It's one of the few, you know, I always say that World War, you know, think about this. Vietnam War movies are about, look how bad it is. Why did we ever do this? World War II movies are always like, look at this awesome thing we did. You know, the Americans, the British, you know, whoever. It's always like, look at this awesome thing we did, aren't we great? World War II movies are mostly self-congratulatory, and and, and rightly so. But A Bridge Too Far is like the rare World War II movie that is the cautionary tale of how everything can go wrong and we could lose to the Nazis. And it's 1977 where... Connery is just one of a number of major, major leads in this movie. He shares the screen with people like Anthony Hopkins, Robert Redford, uh, uh, Goulet, um, uh, uh, just a bunch of—I don't have it in front of me—but just a bunch of big-time actors. This movie has one of the most incredible casts I've ever seen. And, of course, Connery dominates the screen in his parts, just like you would expect he would in 1977. You know, just six years off of Diamonds Are Forever, but now he's in a little better shape, playing a military guy, uh, a, a paratrooper, the commander of a paratrooper unit. And I love this movie because it gives you little sections of each of those major characters. Ryan O'Neill is in it. Um, there's just so many. I could do the whole yeah, show just telling who's in the cast. But um, yeah.
1: yeah. But but yeah, I, I love. It. Have you ever seen it? I actually. Well, have I ever seen it? It's a World War II movie. Of course, I've seen it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, the, a bridge too far is is i don't know i think it's it's one of those movies that's required viewing when you're growing up um, mm. it was on TV a lot saw it on TV a lot um I, I love good old British World War two movies especially those from the '60s and 70s sure um when the you know the time they were doing the, the big um, Big ones like this one, Battle of Britain and so forth. I have, you know, all, you know a lot of those in, upstairs. And I actually rewatched this not long ago. I was actually in the mood to watch a, a World War II movie and sat down and rewatched this one um, probably six, seven weeks ago. So yeah. it, it's pretty fresh in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a great movie. Like you say, it is very much about hubris and overconfidence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's also about, you know, how that little culmination of small things derailed the big plan, you know. um, Like, you know, Michael Caine trying to... I always remember Michael Caine trying to lead the tank (laughs) column up. um, Going back to Connery's group, you know, that they landed in the wrong field and had to... You know, they weren't by the town. They had to hike in two kilometres and (laughs) half the gliders crashed and stuff. You know, um, there's also the nationalistic thing that, you know, the the commanders wouldn't send in the Polish reinforcements because they didn't think they were good enough. Mm. and You know, um, so... uh, And you actually also... See some of it from the German side as well, which I thought yeah. was, was interesting. Um, I'll tell you what—I actually just uh, not long ago read or- a book about Audrey Hepburn's um, experiences during well, growing up in Holland in World War II, and I actually didn't realise she was actually from Arnhem. Oh wow! Um, and she was actually there during the Battle of the Bulge, uh, the Battle of the Bold, uh, during the, the 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 Battle of the Bridges and mm-hmm. the Bridge Too Far, um, and then was like living in in a village outside. Um, it's a fairly harrowing uh, biography about. Uh, it's more about actually the deprivations the Dutch went through, and just uses her as a, a touchstone. But it was actually interesting to re- having not w- long watched the the movie, to then read an eyewitness account of what it was like from the Dutch side was very interesting. I bet. Um, and about how you know the the town was you know and the city was like completely destroyed by both sides. Yep. Um, um, so yeah, I, and as you say, Connery in this is uh, is is a great presence among you know as you said that you know i just meant you know michael kane ryan o'neill mm-hmm. um oh god who else uh dirk Bogard. dirk
0: bogart uh, yeah that's who i was trying to think
1: of gene hackman uh <laughs> yes, of richard course Atten- um richard attenborough is in there i mean yeah it's
0: laurence olivier it's, even plays a doctor y-
1: y- yeah it's ju- oh he does yeah yeah um Maximilian that, Maximin- like, shill having yeah having read that book the olivier character is actually based on a real doctor mm-hmm. um yeah, there's just so many so many people in it, and so many... Uh, Edward Fox. Yeah. yeah, oh, he's great. I yeah. love him in this. James Khan blah, blah, blah. But you're right, one of the ones that you remember from just that sort of cast is Connery, um, and he plays it really well. Um, he, he plays the senior officer who's got a good head on his shoulders, who knows he's in trouble, but can actually also keep his guys motivated around him while some of the others other officers are sort of, you know... Losing the plot, he's one of the few who actually uh, pulls them together. So I actually don't know much about the character he played. I should probably at some point go do some research around that character. But uh, I assume it's based on an actual uh, person. General Urquhart. Yeah.
0: I the thing I like about Connery in this movie is this. It's like the entire movie, he's pretty much like. Incredulous, He just can't believe this is all happening the way it is. And so he has this constant look on his face of like, are you kidding? Just through the whole movie, he's just like, come on, are you kidding? And he's like, well, here we go. We have to deal with this too. What? This is happening now? Are you kidding? Okay, we'll deal with this too, right? And so he's, yeah, he, he, he is one of the few that like pulls it together and gets his men out safely by the end. But he's just—he's just all the way through the movie. He just looks like he just can't believe he's in this situation, and it's very—it's not like what you know when he's Bond, he's totally in control. And so it's—it's—it's it's, it's entertaining to see Connery in a role where he's just totally wrong-footed time after time after time, you
1: know. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, uh, and again, he's just got that screen presence. That- he does. So let's and see. He, you're, he plays, oh, I was going to say he he plays really well in that ensemble cast as well. He does. Um, he plays he, he plays off the other the other actors very well. It's yeah. not, you because know, Bond tends to be more of a you know, I know he has an ensemble, you know, a regular cast around him, but it just tends does tend to be more of a solo vehicle, mm-hmm. um, particularly the early early ones. Um, Absolutely. To see him, in a, you know, as part of a, a larger cast was very interesting.
0: Yeah, I agree. Okay, so uh, what do you have next?
1: Okay, well, I'm going to bump us back in time a little bit to actually right in the middle of the Bond run of Bond movies where he went off uh, after From Russia With Love to do a non-Bond movie. Um, Apparently, his contract was that uh, he could do uh, non-Bond movies, but they had to be Eon Productions, but he kept turning down everything that Eon were pushing at him that was uh, not a Bond movie. Um, And they got so frustrated, they actually said to him, what do you want to do? And he said, well, I want to make an Alfred Hitchcock movie. Um, Hmm. And they said, okay, we can make that happen. Um, (laughs) And uh, so uh, they got in touch with Alfred Hitchcock, and he basically got signed up to do Marnie, which was in 1964. Um, This was very much his, look, I'm not just James Bond movie at Mm. the time. Um, Very different role. Um, The interesting thing was apparently that once they started talking, he actually asked for a copy of the script, and everybody was like, you don't do that. Nobody asks Alfred Hitchcock for a copy of the script. (laughs) Um, you know, like Even Cary Grant doesn't up, ask for copies of the script beforehand. And he said, I'm not Cary Grant. I'm Sean Connery. I want to see the script. <laughs> um, basically, he said he didn't want he because what he didn't want to do was it end up being something like a North by Northwest or something where he ended up, you know, in another spy type role. So and it's anything but um, if you've never seen Marnie, it's a very actually if you watch the trailers, um, Hitchcock calls it a sex thriller, which is sort of what it is it's I'd say it's Hmm. more of a it's really a tense psychological thriller have you ever seen it? No Um, so basically it's about this girl called Marnie who's played by Tippi Hedron and she's a thief um, who basically steals things and has nightmares and is very much a multiple personality split and she sort of ends ends up coming uh, she meets Connery's character um, a guy called Mark I've forgotten his last name basically who's a well-to-do um i think he's an exec uh, advertising executive or something or publishing executive something like that anyway has a big house in philadelphia and stuff like that uh, meets her um through a friend and then later she turns up at his uh company and he recognizes her um but uh and then he decides he you know he's gonna woo her and he, he sort of becomes the hunter um she becomes the hunted um and she sort of has these weird psychological problems like when uh, there's thunderstorms and stuff. She gets incredibly frightened, um, mm. but then she switches to being a thief and switching personalities and stuff. Um, anyways, they, they eventually get married, but then she won't let him touch her on their wedding night. Um, and actually, um, he doesn't at one point, he has, there's actually a fairly, uh, I wouldn't say graphic, but very intense rape scene, basically where he basically, even though they're, they're married, he basically rapes her, right. um, to try and get some response out of her. Um, and then it ends up with them going on this this journey to sort of find out what it is that's causing her all the problems. Um, and it sort of turns out that, you know, her, her mother was a prostitute and she was abused by some of her mother's johns and things like thunderstorms and bright lights set her off and trigger these multiple personalities and the, the thieving and stuff. Um, and they all end up happily ever after type thing sorry spoiler Mm. Um, but it's it's really interesting thing from Connery because he plays very much a um, both the hunter and the victim and he switches from a guy who's seems to be tough and the hunter and not and going after her and be trouble you know be harsh but then also flick to being considerate and he's as multifaceted as as she is Uh, and there's great chemistry between uh, him and uh, Tippi Hedren Um, uh, and then if you mix that in with all of uh, Hitchcock's usual misdirections and subtle you know things like that it's it's not an easy movie to watch Um, but it's a very very well made very well acted movie. if, if, if you should have won an Oscar for anything I think you should have won it for this one but it was probably too early in his career
0: right so. well looking at him in it yeah he looks very much like the like not so much the like Dr. No but he looks very much like from Russia with Love and and uh, Goldfinger and Thunderball so yeah you can yeah, definitely I mean, tell this, it's that era yeah I mean
1: this was filmed between from Russia with Love and, and Goldfinger and considering they were turning him out like once every year to actually mm-hmm. get another movie in there as well was I think yeah. an amazing piece of scheduling
0: no kidding so, absolutely yeah.
1: So yeah, I said not an easy watch, but a very powerful performance from Connery.
0: Yeah, it seems like it. Again, I'm going to put this one on my list, and I think we'll we'll try to. I'm going to make a note here to go back at the end and uh, go through the list again for folks that want to kind of work their way through the uh, to kind of reiterate so people can work their way down the list if they want to. Um, so my uh, my number two in chronological order, we we go to the '80s now to 1981, and Outland. And Outland is um, is he plays Marshall William T. O'Neill in Of All Places EO. This is a Peter Hyams movie, and of course Peter Hyams made some pretty good movies back in this era, and a few that were not so great. But the the there's two problems I have with this movie. I mean, Connery's very good in it, and in 1981 he was really settling into his 80s persona of you know, slightly getting older, but still pretty dynamic action hero, you know. And um, it's, it very much reminds me of an early version of, of the movies that Schwarzenegger would make later in this decade. Like if Outland, if this movie had been made just three or four years later, I could, or even four, you know, four or five years later, I could totally see Sean, uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger playing O'Neill. And and they'd have put some one-liners in there for him, you know, like when the head, when the guy, when the astronauts' heads blow up, he'd be something like, you know, oh he had to pop or something like that, you know, they'd have totally had stuff like that going on. But what this movie is basically is High Noon. It's I mean the tagline should be High Noon in Space. You know, it's it's got a very simplistic plot. There's not a lot to it. Essentially, um, Connery and his wife and kid are assigned to a mining operation on EO and the effects and the cinematography looks straight out of uh, alien I mean it looks like the Nostromo could have stopped there on the way out to you know to, to run into the alien and on, on that planet and basically he finds out that there's drug dealing going on and these drugs are causing the you know the miners to violently go crazy and kill each other and kill themselves and so he tracks down and finds out that the um, the head of the base is, like, involved in it, and the head of the base calls in some hitmen to take care of him. And so, like, you know, the first two-thirds of the movie is him investigating the crimes, and the last third of the movie is him battling the, the gunslingers that ride in on the shuttle, basically. And that's all there is to it. It's basically a Western. The only difference is it's, you know, they're wearing spacesuits part of the time instead of cowboy hats. That's It's, it's the exact same story. And so it's... It, And the characterization, I mean, I would have appreciated just a little bit more reason to care about anybody. I mean, probably in retrospect, the most interesting character in it is Dr. Lazarus, who is played by Frances Sternhagen as like the doctor. And she's like the sassy, grouchy doctor woman on the base that takes care of everybody, you know. And she kind of reluctantly starts helping Connery's character against everybody else that because you know he's the downer he's the guy that's coming in to mess up their party with all their drugs and so i you know the the only thing that really jumps out about this movie that's memorable is that they multiple times they kill characters off by having them explosively decompress and their heads explode. And I'm not really sure that's actually what happens. In fact, out of all the movies I've ever seen where people die in outer space, this is the only one where their heads just swell up and explode like in uh, Live and Let Die with the with the capsule, you know, Yafit Kato yeah, yeah, yeah. in the capsule. So, I mean that's really all I have to say. I, I enjoy it. I've, I watch it every five or ten years, I guess. I watched it again yesterday just to make sure I wasn't forgetting something great about it. It look again, like I said, it looks really neat. It it fits in very well with Blade Runner and Alien in terms of its looks, but there's just not a lot of there there. So um, I'm assuming you I'm just not going to even ask you. I'm just going to assume you've seen all the ones I've, I'm going to mention. So what are your thoughts about it? I'm curious.
1: Actually, I haven't seen it. And, and oh, I, okay. It it it's. A weird one. I, it's one of those ones where I thought, well, I must have seen it. You know, It's Sean Connery and it's a science fiction movie and it's early 80s. I must have seen it at some mm-hmm. point. But as we were prepping for this and I watched the trailer it was like, I don't think I've actually seen this. And you talking about it now, it's not bringing the, the back minimal. any memories or anything. So I'm guessing it's one of those that I... Probably thought I had seen at some point. I've never really gone back and looked yeah. at it, thinking, "Oh, I've got to watch that because I haven't seen it." I think it was the back of my mind. Oh, yeah, I saw that ages ago, um, and I think I just haven't seen it. I think I thought I'd seen it, but I haven't. It <laughs> makes sense. Um, uh. So yeah, I'm definitely going to have to go watch it. I think
0: you, you, it's, it's not a very. It's like an hour and a half long, and it, like I said, it's just got one plot. And it's
1: a western. I mean, I love it, I love westerns. It is. So it western is western in space. So, that's yeah. pretty
0: pretty much it. They thought, let's just do this exact same story, but in outer space. So, I do like that it's on EO. You get some really neat. It's and it's Peter Hyams who would later do another movie set in orbit around Jupiter, 2010, one of my favorite movies ever. So, it's like he's he's batting 500. P- Peter Hyams is batting 500 with me on movies set in Jupiter orbit. <laughs> <laughs> So That's there you go.
1: That's a pretty, pretty niche genre. That, but it uh, yeah.
0: is. Who would have thought that there's more than one movie set in Jupiter orbit, <laughs> and both
1: directed by the same guy? Yeah. So there you go. Cool. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely going to have to put that on my watch list. Yeah.
0: But yeah. But when you watch it, remember this: Could you not see a 1985 version with with Arnold Schwarzenegger playing the marshal? You'll know exactly what I mean as soon as you start. You'll be like, Oh yeah, that's the that's the that's the Arnold role. Absolutely. So you'll see. It's really funny. Okay, cool. All right, what's next
1: for you? Uh oh. Alan? Um, yeah, it's alright. I had the I was muted. Um oh. can you Okay now? Yeah. So okay. what's next what's next for you? Well you just talked about one of your favorite movies. I'm not gonna talk or mentioned one of your favorite movies, I'm not gonna talk about one of my all time favorite movies. Mm. Um, The Man Who Would Be King. Oh okay. Um, this is, as I said, one of my all-time favorite movies. I watch it over and over again. Um, this is an adaptation of a classic Rudyard Kipling story um, that really has three great leads. You've got Christopher Plummer playing Rudyard Kipling, who's only really there at the beginning, at the end. Um, and most of the movie, it's a twofer between, with Sean Connery and Michael Caine as uh, two British former soldiers of fortune who head off and set themselves up as... Kings in a country called Kafiristan, where basically is a a land where no white man has set foot since Alexander the Gate. Um, have you seen it?
0: No, it, it, and it's the, it's, the, it's one of those that I've had on my list forever. So I'm right. anxious to I'm yeah. anxious to hear I, the fact that you recommend it so highly. I'm definitely going to watch it now. I've always been Sorry, thinking but, I've always yeah. been thinking it must be good, but I don't know how good it is. But now it sounds like I need to watch it.
1: Yeah, and basically, it's, you know, well, I won't give too much away, but, uh, you know, it starts off with, you know, them um, maneuvering themselves into a position of power and then be, being uh, seen as kings and then Connery, you know, um, and I'm not going to give him too much away, but basically at some point an arrow sort of, he gets shot with an arrow, but it ends in his leather jerking so it doesn't go through and he pulls it out and they all think he's a god and he starts playing up to it and ah. he starts believing in himself and Kane's trying to be there, you know, the, mm. the guy who you know, who used to stand by Caesar saying, remember you are mortal. Um, you know, mm. Cain becomes, tries to become the voice of reason and as he's becoming more the voice of the reason, Con- Connery's getting you know, his self-belief grows and then he starts to believe himself to be the reincarnation of Alexander the Great um, and of course, you know, eventually it all comes to the point where they get to that inevitable down- downfall mm. um, but it's all it's, it's basically told as um, Cain telling the story to Rudyard Kipling uh, after the after things have happened and stuff mm-hmm. um, and, and telling the story and it's all t- told through his narration but the interplay between Kane and Connery you can tell they're really good friends uh, off screen anyway um, really brilliant um interplay between the two great character study um great great uh, lesson in uh, you know power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely um very yeah <laughs> uh, on point for, for yeah. date Times um, sure. and you know somebody somebody believing that, that they're above authority um, hmm. and yeah so it it really resonates. Uh, <laughs> I, I rewatched it again, rel- you know, sometime in the last four years, uh, and it had a whole new level of meaning on it that it never had before.
0: <laughs> I guess it. Did. Um,
1: it's you know it's a bit of the emperor's new clothes. It's a bit of the you know it, mm-hmm. it's also um, a, a story around you know cultural appropriation um, about you know. The whole white saviour approach—you uh, mm-hmm. know, it just just because they're European, seeing themselves above this native uh, civilization and better than it, um, and being brought down again by their own hubris. Um, so, uh, yeah, a very powerful piece. It's if you actually go back and read the uh, original Rudyard Kipling one story, it's it's a short story. It's a pretty good short story, um, but the movie just gives it uh, levels on top. And I actually think it's one of one of Connery's the best performances. I think it's. It, <laughs> said that a couple of times already, um, but uh, it it uh, really for me is a tour de force from Connery this one.
0: That's interesting. Yeah, no, I'm definitely putting that one high up on my list now because, I, like I said, I've always it's a very visually striking. I've, I've I've seen scenes from it. They're wearing their red, you know, the red military coats and everything and those hats, and Connery's got his big mustache and everything. It, it it jumps out at me visually, but I've never actually watched it. So that's really cool to know that I I do need to see it. That's that's good. Um. My third one is Highlander from 1986. And of course, now because you know in the like I said in the 80s he starts making that transition and it's not complete, but in the 80s he starts making that transition from you know sexy leading man action hero to somewhat more like the mentor character. And mm-hmm a number of the movies that I have on my list for sure uh, including several that are still coming up Connery very much plays like the mentor and we, we kind of see that and I don't think either one of us is going to talk about the thirty Nina Jones movie right or is it on your list? Yeah, it's on my list. It is. Okay, so it's the same kind of thing where he's Indy's dad, right. He plays this kind of like the father figure, the mentor figure, the wiser, older man figure that leads some young guy. And again, I'm going to mention this same dynamic in several of mine, and I'm sure in a couple of yours for sure. But this is one of the first ones I remember really seeing it on the screen where he plays absolutely the mentor that's there just to help the main star instead of him being the main star for once. And so, you know, the... um, the main star is Christopher Lambert as Connor McLeod. So you've got a Frenchman playing a Scotsman, and then you've got a Scotsman play- <laughs> playing an Egyptian uh, Spaniard, right? But I yeah. like that. I like it because I've always people have always kind of made fun of the fact that he's you know he's a he's Scottish, but he's supposed to be Spanish, but he's Egyptian or something. But to me, that absolutely works in the in the sense that they're immortal and they've been around forever. Because he would have been all over the world and spent time in different cultures, you know, and and built up a different personality in different places probably. Wouldn't just stay in the same place forever and be, you know, because everybody would know he was immortal. He'd figure it out and they'd think he's the devil like they do, you know, Connor. So I don't think we have to say a lot about this movie. And in fact it dawns on me that I'm surprised I'm really, frankly, surprised when I realize that I don't think that I've ever covered this movie in a White Rocket podcast. We've covered just about everything else by now, but I don't think we've ever talked about Highlander. But again, for those that haven't seen it, a quick little what the description is. It's about um, a, a guy in medieval Scotland, Christopher Lambert, he plays Connor McLeod, who discovers he's an immortal, and every time you kill him, unless you chop his head off, he, he, he revives. He's like Wolverine. He, he regenerates and comes back to life. And so he meets Sean Connery at some point, who is another immortal and kind of teaches him the ropes of how to go through life and defend yourself and what it's all about. He's like the mentor figure. But he's a very memorable character in that movie. It's, it's kind of a dumb movie in a way, and, and the sequels and everything were kind of dumb. But it's one of those things that just really came along at a time when there hadn't really been anything like it, you know they're running around with samurai swords, chopping each other's heads off, and there's lightning bolts, and it's really quite an interesting idea. And you see them all through time, so um, it's it is it always has been one of my top thirty or forty movies, and it's the closest thing we really have to a Chronicles of Amber movie until they ever do Amber, where you have immortal princes trying to you know fight for the throne basically uh, and kill each other. So, and of course it gave rise to a TV series and everything else. So. I really enjoy it. And I like the unexpected presence of Connery as now the mentor figure. That's kind of what I have to say about Highlander. What do you, you have any thoughts about Highlander?
1: Oh, I have a lot of thoughts about Highlander. I love Highlander. (laughs) I actually even pitched uh, way back in the day when, anyway, uh, even pitched a Highlander tie novel at one point when Ah. a UK publishing company had the rights. Um, so yeah, I love Highlander. Um, Mm. and the TV show too. I love the TV show. Um, surprised you didn't put Highlander 2 on your list. Um, <laughs> you that, that's good. a whole other podcast we could do. About. I will reach through we, this we
0: microphone sh- and punch you in the face. You better watch
1: out. We should do a Highlander podcast. Yes, um, I'm totally down for it. Anyway, yeah, I, I love Highlander the movie. Yeah. Um, Again, uh, another regular rewatch. Um, mm-hmm. I actually love the fact that while Lambert is, uh, you know, really struggling with his really horrendous first Scottish and then quasi-British accent throughout the rest of it, Sean Connery just doesn't give up monkeys and just uses his his Scottish accent. <laughs> oh, no. no attempt at an accent; uh, it's just his natural voice, and Alan, it's awesome. Alan, you I've know. always said
0: this is he. He, um, oh crap, uh, he was Jason Statham before Jason Statham, right? Yeah. yeah, well, it doesn't st- matter. You, same you,
1: thing. You, yeah. you, you just buy into the character, right? You know, um, <laughs> exactly. It's just like, he doesn't care. It's a lot less... Distracting than somebody trying and failing at
0: doing Yes, just be it. We'll want we'll, we'll more. I've always said there's the three phases of Jason Statham. There's there's where he only played like Cockney characters. Then there was when he played characters that weren't British and he tried to do their accent and failed. And now he's in phase three, which is. He's placed all different kind of characters, but they all sound exactly the same. <laughs> whether
1: well, they're all Jason Statham, yeah. Yes. Yeah, and Connery's the same. Connery's yes. the same. Absolutely. Uh, I, that was actually a very interesting thing because you know I, I think we talked about this when we talked about Never Say Never that you know that mm-hmm. would, they should have let him be Connery at that age. And this is around that sort of time, isn't it? Never Say Never was eighty three. Yeah. This is eighty six. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, very much on that Casper. Becoming the elder statesman uh, and, and taking on that mentor role as well as you said I think probably this is the first one isn't it where he does actually go from being the leading man to being that supporting mentor character
0: yeah because my next movie is set is, is was made the exact or came out the exact same year and again and, and in it which is going to be the name of the rose I'll go ahead and spoil it in it he is both the leading man and the mentor at the same time so it really is like the transitional movie for him I think and we'll get yeah. to that in a second
1: yeah yeah so yeah I, i'm up for islander um all the time um you know it's gonna be only one so yeah I can, that's right yeah um so i guess it's back to me now yeah number four number four on my list um i'm jumping back again a bit um 1978 uh the mm. first great train robbery <sighs> um or is it, or is it is known in the u.s the great train robbery because <laughs> you didn't have one <laughs> um. <laughs> I, I didn't realize that
0: okay but in yeah. the UK,
1: of course, we did have an actual Great Train Robbery in the 60s, so this is set in the Victorian times, so it became the first Great Train Robbery.
0: Oh, I um, was, well, it's, okay. okay.
1: It's it's a fun Victorian heist movie. It's written and directed by Michael Crichton. As didn't realise oh, he'd yeah. actually directed that many movies, but he'd actually directed this one based on yeah. his story. Um, it's a, another great uh, double act, Sean Connery and Donald Sutherland, in, in fine form, um, and i will say the main reason that i always adored this movie is the presence of late leslie and down in a uh, <laughs> in some very scantily scanty outfits um so uh, probably, probably i had a big crush on leslie and down when i was younger so um yeah that was the main reason i remembered this movie but it is actually um going back and on, on rewatching it a couple of years ago um if you like heist movies um And slick heist movies, and Victorian, or you're a fan of sort of Sherlock Holmes type, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, crime stuff, setting, sort of gaslight and Victorian era stuff. um, You'll probably love this movie. It it is, and it's a good action movie as well. Um, Yeah. So, just uh, not really much more to say about this. It's just a good heist movie, and he plays the uh, the the con man um, lead, um, the guy who sort of puts the gang together. Convince, plays both the uh, the gentleman in the city, conning people to make think he's he's a respectable businessman, while he's actually also the, the leader of a gang of thieves, um, planning the, the the biggest robbery uh, Victorian London's ever seen. So yeah, it's very it's it's a good fun movie.
0: I feel like this is a movie that is on Netflix or Amazon or something, and I watched some of it and then something happened that i didn't get to finish it maybe i feel like i've seen like the first 15 20 minutes of it and i never and it wasn't i didn't like it it's i got this something happened i never went back and finished it so because it does totally ring a bell but i know i never finished it so i'm gonna have to finish it but i think it is funny how some of these we haven't seen mostly me i'm afraid but yeah it's so so uh yeah, I'll, I'll I have to finish that one, but uh, but yeah, I I I knew that yeah I like this stuff that Crichton's done. He you know he basically went back and redirected the Thirteenth Warrior after he didn't like what uh, what's his name that uh, the 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 previous director I guess the diehard director had done with it. So um, so he every now and then he would step in and direct a movie. So I guess this is probably the first one he directed, unless he was involved in. Uh, he wasn't. He didn't. He didn't direct the uh, the Andromeda Syndrome. I don't think he wrote it, but I don't think he. I no, I don't think, think so. he directed it. Yeah, no. so but he had done a few, so that's true. Yep. All right, well, number four for me, as I mentioned a moment ago, is The Name of the Rose. So we're still in 1986, the same year he did Highlander. I don't know which one he filmed first, but The Name of the Rose is, is a wonderful movie. I love this movie. And let's see if you all can figure out what this what this is act what this actually is? It's based on Umberto Eco's first novel, which was a big award-winning best-selling novel. I've never read the novel, but I did just order it on Amazon about an hour before we sat down here, so I'll, I'll be getting it and reading it over the next couple of weeks, hopefully. But let's see if you can figure out what this actually is. So it's set in the in the Dark Ages, in the medieval period, and. Connery is both, like I said, he's both the leading man in this movie and the mentor character, and the way that you do that is to have the other character he's a mentor of not be a big strapping warrior like Connor McLeod, but you have him be a young kid so that they're they're more like Batman and Robin, you know. Um, And so he's both the mentor and the leading man, like Batman to Robin. And so the, the 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 actor that he's the mentor to is Christian Slate a very young Christian Slater in 1986 who plays um uh like an adept you know studying under him he plays Adso Adso of Milk. and Sean Connery's character is a monk investigating murders at an abbey and his name is is Brother William of Baskerville okay I mean just hit me over the head how about he's William of Baskerville and he has an assistant who is giving us the story after like you kind of like you said a while ago with that other movie Christian an, an older Christian Slater is narrating this movie and telling about how his teacher William of Baskerville solved the mysteries and taught him you know how to be a good detective monk and all that so yeah I think we all know He's basically Sherlock Holmes, the monk. And, and Christian Slater is Watson. And um, it's neat to have Sherlock Holmes, basically, played by Sean Connery, investigating murders at, a, at, a, at a, mon- a monastery. And there's a lot of interesting stuff that goes in. Ron Perlman is in it. And, and the head abbot of the uh, monastery is played by none other than Michael Lonsdale. So we have Bond and a Bond villain. Okay, uh, D- who, who Drax? Recently. Yeah. Yes, yeah, Drax yeah. is the is the head of the head of the monastery. So, uh, and you have a you know and then you also have F Murray Abraham as the in, head of the Inquisition. So, you can't get any better now than F Murray well, Abraham as inquisitor, right? So, I, I really like this movie a lot because it's a good Sherlock Holmes story by itself, but then when you add in Connery as kind of the wise wink and nod mentor figure, you know, that goes against all the monks, the monks all respect him because he's a holy man, but he's also kind of a scientific guy. You know, he, he's read Aristotle and Plato and stuff, and he can quote them. Which they all think means he's, you know, clearly he's a heretic if he can quote Aristotle and stuff like that. And so it's just got a lot of good character stuff. There's a lot of good interaction with Christian Slater. Um, Ron Perlman plays a deformed hunchback, which is, I mean, you got gotta love that Ron Perlman in, in that kind of a character role. Uh, there's just so much good stuff in it, you know. So I really, I really enjoy it.
1: So this is another one I actually haven't seen. Oh wow, I didn't expect but that. But I have read the book. Well, there we go. <laughs> Uh, I read the book well probably when I was at college, I think, um so, yeah, I've read the book, but never really got it. not that I didn't want to see it, I just never really got around to seeing it, and mm-hmm. I think, having read the book, it was like, well, you know, I sort of know the story. Um, I hadn't really thought of the Batman and Robin as uh parallel until you just said it, which is actually pretty spot on, I think <laughs> um, more than more than Holmes and Watson, I think the uh, the Batman and Robin model is hmm. pretty accurate, so um, interesting, yeah it's it's probably uh on the to watch someday list but it's probably not at the top of that list Um, so
0: I think I've seen it three times now. I was trying to rewatch it today, and I got about two thirds of the way through it, and was enjoying it every bit as much as I ever did. Just because I think the thing I like about it best is a movie, because again, like you said, the story is—it's not the most. It's there's some good twists to it, and it's—but it's just kind of a basic Sherlock Holmes story. But what I love about it is the set. It just looks like the grimiest, dirtiest, nastiest place where it's set, and the peasants just look truly, truly woefully pitiful around the monastery. But most, like like half of, let's put it this way, half of the monks that Connery and Slater have to deal with in this movie are just like out of a Warhammer 40,000 story, honestly. And in fact, a lot of it reminds me more of Warhammer than it does, you know, than actual history because they are like twisted mutant looking people with these weird noises they make, you know, and all it. I mean, honestly, you give them laser guns and it could be a Warhammer 40,000 movie. It's just, that's honest truth. So. <laughs> So um, let's see, so we've each done four so let's pause here for just a second because we've got to thank the folks that keep our shows on the air. And if you enjoy the shows that Alan and I do about the Bond films and the shows that Alan and I do about racing and other things like that, or if you enjoy our, our Auburn show, or if you like just the White Rocket podcast where we talk about all kinds of pop culture topics, books and movies and TV and all, we work tirelessly day and night to provide folks with good quality content, do we not, sir? And we couldn't do that if you guys didn't help us pay the bills and keep the show on the air. For just as, for as little as a dollar a month, you can join the White Rocket Entertainment family and help us keep producing these, these shows that you will enjoy and that, and that uh, Jared and the others produce. So just go to www.plexico.net, P-L-E-X-I-C-O.net, or you can just go to Patreon.com and search for White Rocket and join up. And it's for as little as a dollar a month. You get to be part of the show, and we send out. I post things occasionally on the Patreon page of interest, and you get previews, you get special deals, special offers, and discounts on things that we do, and you sometimes get shows before the uh, the regular audience does. Here are the fine folks who are currently keeping our programs on the air that we owe everything to. Samuel Salvatore and Bart Lindsey, uh, Bradley Blackman, Brian Gray, Chris Usher, Gary Grant, Logan Chilton, Phil Amthor, Richard Stevens, Steve Trewick, Susan Trawick, Tom Anderson, Willie Carden, Ann Kandian, AU Falling Up, Ben Bloodsworth. Clay Henson, Dan Thompson, Daniel Odom, David Evers, David Hegler, Emmanuel Seaman, George Gaston, Jacob and Robin Fleming, James Greenwell, Joel Beckham, John Otsuki, Catherine England, Kevin Smith, Mickey B, Phil Davis, Preston Settle, Reynolds Wolf, Rich Reimer, Steve Harlan, Timothy, WDE Ritchie, Wes Atkinson, William Morgan, Wilson Beard, Winston Body, Alex Nguyen, Blake Heron, Boris the Tiger, Cato the Barner, Chris Hilton, Chris Thrash, Colby Butler, Danny Flack, plus Darius Benton. David Simpson, Di Bama, Earl Ricks, Eric Mahan, Hugh Anderson, Josh Teal, Kevin Kenoy, Kevin Mahan, Lane Middleton, Mike Finley, Papa Todd, Randall Walker, Rob Morgan, Ross, Russell Milling, Shannon Butson, Sarah Hines, Shane Bailey, Snowdog, Stephen Houston, Tim Pittman, Todd Gray, Tony Perry, Auburn Elvis, Ben Amos, Brandon Sisson, Brandon Smith, Chris Camo, Darren Pyle, David Smiley, Don, Donnie Reynolds, plus Ivor Evans, James Taylor, Jason Albrecht, John Stubbs, John Zavatchin, Joey Miller, Joseph Iliff, Justin Bean, Lawrence Kane, Mark Squire, Matthew Flowers, Mick Vigicana, Nicholas Craig, Patrick Williams, Paul Bankson, Robert Drain, Robert O. Salmon's, Russell Suther, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, that's the truth, Ruth, Spanky, Stephen Thompson, Trevor Johnson, Kenneth Brent Raines, Brant Rumble, and Chris Plus our one time And anonymous donors We thank you all so much Go to www.plexico.net Or just go to www.patreon.com And sign up And join the family Okay Alan So we've done our top We've done our first four Chronologically So uh, What's your fifth Of seven movies?
1: Yeah my fifth movie um, We talked earlier about Connery should have won An Oscar for Marnie Well, I'm going to talk about The movie he did win An Oscar for Ah Um The Untouchables from 1987. Oh, yeah. uh, Where he won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for his role as Irish cop, bit ironic uh, (laughs) with his Scottish accent, uh, Jim Malone, up against uh, Robert De Niro's Al Capone and uh, Mm. alongside um, uh, Kevin Costner's Elliot Ness. Um, I'm a big sucker for the Elliot Ness story, the Untouchable story. um, I love all that sort of stuff. Um, I'm usually in Cleveland once a year, which I know people think of elliot ness and all that as chicago but elliot ness was actually ran for mayor of cleveland and was the public defender in cleveland and the, the torso murders and all the stuff that happened in cleveland so he has he's a big presence in cleveland and interesting um, so when i go to cleveland every year i'm usually sort of doing some elliot ness uh hunting down and research stuff um i, I just love his story but um, mm-hmm. a couple of biographies of him uh, and this is a. Uh, obviously Eyes movie based more on the, the TV show than Nessie's true biography, but, uh, it's, it's, it's a great movie. Um, an interesting period in, in American history. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, the whole thing of, you know, how far do the cops go to meet the bad guys? Do they become the people, Do they become the same as the guys they're hunting? Um, of course, you know, um, Connery has that great speech about you know if they bring if they bring a knife to a fight you bring a gun if they pop one of your guy you put one of your guys in the ground you put two of theirs in the ground and so forth mm-hmm. uh, yeah that's, that's how you get
0: that's how you get capone that's the Chicago that's the way Chicago
1: way yeah that's <laughs> the one <laughs> yep, so yep. yeah um, so it's it's a it's a really really good movie uh, really big budget movie again uh, Connery playing the supporting role because that's what he won the Oscar for but yeah more of the the, the mentor, you know, the grizzled cop who's seen it all before, but, mm-hmm. you know, can, can really is the, is the lifeblood of the, of the glue that holds the, the, the team of the Untouchables together mm-hmm. uh, more than, uh, than Elliot Ness is. So, um, yeah, a great, a great movie, uh, a well-deserved, uh, I think it was a little bit of a sentimental o- Oscar nod that, you know, they felt mm-hmm. like we've passed you getting one, but I still think it's a great performance um, and it, it's a really good movie.
0: Yes, I agree. I have seen it several times, and I, I do i I agree with you that I don't know that that necessarily would have been the one I would have given him an Oscar for, but I think that at some point they needed to give him one it, It's kind of like i still I still can't believe that uh, Peter O'Toole never got one, and so yeah he that they needed to get him one at some point, and that was where they decided to do it i think
1: yeah, yeah, but that doesn't uh, you know take away from from it is is a really good performance and a really good movie right um yeah.
0: I think and it's interesting too that he won it considering that so much of the talk about that movie at the time was about De Niro. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Cuz
0: he gained all that weight to play uh, you know to, to be able to play Capone, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah.
1: And and he's he's very powerful in it as well, but mm-hmm. a, a, you know, Connery is equally as powerful in a, in a much for Connery a much more subtle way.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay. Um For my uh, number five, we get to the 1990s, just barely now, and a movie that actually, if you are a regular listener to our networks, you have heard us talk about a couple of times lately because I did a panel at Dragon Con recently um, um, that included this movie or was just about this movie, in fact. I think, yeah, it was um, for Joe Crow and Gary Mitchell's track. They did a panel called One Scottish Ping Only, and... (laughs) And then we did a a show, Jared and his brother Jason and I did a show just a couple of weeks ago about the Jack Ryan movies of the 1990s. And you had to start with 1990s, The Hunt for Red October. And this is, again, an interesting one where Connery is in that transitional period from about 1981 to 1990 or thereabouts where he goes from being the leading man to kind of the mentor figure. And again, in this movie, he's kind of both in a way. He's, he's not the mentor of Jack Ryan in this movie until maybe kind of the end when he's trying to you know, get Ryan to figure out what he's doing with the defection. He's kind of like a long-range <laughs> mentor uh, of, of Alec Baldwin's character, but he certainly is kind of the, the den mother you know, uh, of, the, of the conspirators, the mutineers on their own submarine. And the way that he, you know, the way he interacts with um, Sam Neill's character and uh, the other Russian uh, sailors is so great. So it's it's neat how Connery, at this stage of his career, was able to play both the leading man to a certain degree, although kind of the elder statesman leading man, like you said earlier, and also he could also play um the the more the father figure kind of a character at the same time he's in that transition and this is just a great movie. I mean, it's funny how when the movie came out I thought yeah it was all right it was a fairly decent adaptation of, of a book that I liked back in the 80s that was all right and over the years it's one of those movies that has just it's its reputation has gone higher and higher I think partly because it's a great submarine movie it's a it's probably still the best Jack Ryan movie I think that it's kind of like when you have one Jack Ryan movie, you're like, okay, that was good. Let's see what they do now. And after you've got like five or six or seven Jack Ryan movies, you're like, man, they never did top that first one, Red October. And the other thing we talked about on those shows about it that several people pointed out is the screenplay and the way that they put this movie together is so tight. There's just not a wasted moment. You know, There, there are stretches of this movie... That, that of Red October that there's stretches of it that seem like you can kind of take a breath that nothing's happening for a minute. But it is. There's always forward motion in this movie and it and it but but yet it never seems frenetic. It's like it's it's like a it's like one of those races where they're walking but they're walking really fast and steady and never never blinking and never slowing down. That it has that kind of a pacing to it. So I very much appreciate the Hunt for Red October as a spy movie uh, a, a Cold War movie and a submarine movie to rival Ice Station Zebra, my other favorite submarine movie. So, what are your thoughts on Red October?
1: Um, I, I love Hunt for Red. this is I love Hunt for Red October. I think this is another great example of Connery not giving a monkeys about his accent. Yeah, I mean the fact that you've got this, you know, Russian submarine ac- uh, captain with a. Uh, with a, with a Scottish brogue, and you just buy into it. You, yes. you just believe he is that character. Um, it works mm-hmm. perfectly. Um, I, again, yeah, I think it's a really well-written movie. Um, I don't know if you've ever read uh, William Goldman's uh, Adventures in the Screen Trade. No. Book on screenwriting. But he talks about when you're doing an adaptation about finding the spine of the story in the, mm. in the, in the original work and just going with that, you know, not doing a, a faithful word-for-word adaptation, but finding the, you know the spine mm. of the story, what it's about, and, and just working with that. And I think this is a perfect example, uh, you know, because the book's interesting, but the book goes on way too long, Yeah, and it's got way too much superfluous information. What? A a,
0: a, Jack, uh, uh, a, a Tom Clancy novel that goes on too long with superfluous <laughs> information? Surely you jest.
1: Yeah, I know. Yeah, This was his first one, wasn't it? Um,
0: yes, it's the shortest of all of
1: them. <laughs> yeah, um, but this is a great example of doing that, of actually, you know, finding that really tight story within um, all that dense prose. And, uh, you know, I think it's, as you said, it's an exceptionally well-written submarine spy movie. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I'd rank it up there with uh, Ice Station Zebra, which, again, is, you know, probably my favourite submarine movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it, it's really great. And, as you say, I just love the fact that you just completely buy Connery as the mm-hmm. commander of a Russian submarine, um, even though he's got... A, a Scottish accent. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah, there's there are people all over America going. I had no idea that the Lithuanian accent is Scottish, but there is. But I guess it is, cause it's it yeah, clear, yeah.
1: clearly you know. And, it, and, and it's, it, a char- it's, it's a great character. It's a really good character too. So actually, it, funny thing is, just before we got on this call, and I was on Facebook, I I think popped up that actually said twenty things that you don't know about for Red October. yeah <laughs> and um. One of the things I didn't know, and it actually starts off, the original captain, the original uh, actor for the captain was Klaus Maria Brandauer. Oh, that's Who, of course, played Largo in Never Say Never.
0: Another Bond Um, villain. Yeah, there you go.
1: Yeah, but apparently he he dropped out after uh, a while because he had a scheduling conflict. He'd already agreed to do some um, European film, French Hmm. film. And hmm. they, this day was a prior commitment because schedule, schedules moved and stuff. He couldn't do Hunt for Red October. So he's the one who actually recommended Connery. Oh, wow. Because uh, yeah, they, re- yeah, they were together. Yeah,
0: they were. I forgot they were yes, there. That was the movie that they were both in. Yeah.
1: Never say never again. Yeah. Um, hmm. And apparently, which I didn't know, Connery had basically two weeks. They were two weeks into filming and Connery had one day's rehearsal. Hmm. Wow. Um, yeah so that makes his performance even more impressive
0: well and so. think about this talk about the accents think about this every other char- every other every other actor playing a Russian character in this movie does a Russian accent in, in the same room with Connery every time like yeah. I, I don't I don't think there's I don't think there's a single scene in the movie maybe not more than one scene in the entire movie where there are Russian characters talking and Connery is not in the middle of them he he's in virtually every scene involving Russian characters and they are all doing Russian accents as actors and he's not even pretending to and you never you just don't care it's absolutely astonishing and it works and I just don't even understand <laughs> I just don't know oh, I don't pretty. know you're right. But
1: it works. It works yes, brilliantly. Yes, it does. It I, you know, so...
0: I think... I, now, See, I'm surprised to hear you say that, because I would have said, Americans hear any accent that's not American and go, okay, foreigner, so it's whatever. <laughs> Generic foreigner. But for you to say that, I'm like, dang, man, he must be magical, Connery. He must just be magical and put a spell on us that everybody, including people who speak with a British accent, still think he's Russian. My gosh, he's a magician
1: i think he is yeah like it's like i said i think you know it's like certain actors you, you just accept them for who they are and what they are and what they project and <laughs> oh it's God. much better than you know trying to listen to Kev, kevin costner do a oh. bad british accent in you know a robin hood movie or russell crowe do a bad british accent in a robin hood movie or actually anybody doing a bad british accent in a robin hood movie this is true um, it's true you know Oh <laughs> when
0: you say Costner I'm just now I'm on the floor because Costner's the opposite Costner does this Costner actually tries to do the accent he's supposed to be doing and fails miserably and then halfway through the movie stops doing it and still sounds horrible if, if he had just like done Robin Hood with an American accent all the way through then you maybe it would have done like Connery in Red October, but he's like sometimes he's trying to be British and sometimes he's not, and you're like I don't understand. So, oh man, oh man, that's funny. Yeah, sorry,
1: I just watched a a What Culture thing last night on the twelve worst British accents in movies. So.
0: <laughs> I know that Co- I know that Costner was on there.
1: Yeah, there was more than one Robin Hood movie okay. in there. I'll tell you that. Oh man.
0: Oh man! Yeah. It wasn't um, qu-
1: quite as high up the list as Dick Van Dyke, though. So, we'll- <laughs> oh god!
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! All right, let's go on to number six for you, right? We're rock and rolling here. All right, what's number
1: six? Oh yeah, we just did Hamptons over, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. Um, we we you spoiled it earlier, but yes, the the Jones boys are back in town Um Indiana ah. Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, I mean, come on, Han Solo and James Bond punch Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> that's all you need to know, isn't it? Great. I mean, great. You know, and it, uh, and me, it worked, it worked it so learned. well. I mean, yeah. And the thing is, not, there's not that big an age difference between them either, but it <laughs> worked as, you know, I'm not sure what it is, but it, it's not a like a generational thing. No, um, but it worked brilliant. It's brilliant. Um, it's a great pulp adventure. Um, the repartee between the two of them is, is superb. Um, it's Connery being Connery. Um, and, uh, yeah, for me, it's the, you know, it's the best of the, the indie trilogy. Um, notice I said trilogy. Um, <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> um, yeah, for me, it is the best of the Indiana Jones movies. And it's the one I can watch over and over again. Um, I mean, just, you know, it, it's got a, a whole bunch of things that I like. You know, the, the Grail Quest, the Arthurian stuff. I'm big into that anyway. I love all that sort of stuff. Um, but uh, also, you know, just that relationship between the two of them is, is superb. Hmm.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny too because you, um, it's 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 the one. It's not as iconic in in some ways as the first one, but it's actually you know Indiana Jones and his dad have have actual agency in this movie, whereas in the first one
1: they really don't matter. He, you know, Indy doesn't oh, no, matter. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that's a famous. Uh, I think I've told this story before, but. I went on a writing course with Peter David, the comics writer, and you know, and he said one of the first things he said is, he says, "You can take Indiana Jones out of Raiders of the Lost Ark, and nothing changes." Nothing changes. yeah. Uh, "Oh yeah, he's right." I mean, but in this mm-hmm. one, Sean Connery can bring down a German fighter plane with an umbrella on a flock of seagulls, so <laughs> <you know.
0: laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome, yeah. yeah. And they and yeah. all their repartee, they have really good chemistry in this movie. I think that's that's one they of the do. important things is that they they really do click. I mean, it's it, honestly it's hard to have. I, I'm gonna say this and maybe I'm wrong, but it just this is what it seems to me. It seems to me like it's as great of an well, I don't think Harrison Ford is a great actor. I think he's he he does well in parts that suit him. And he's suited for certain kinds of parts. He's suited for the Harried, you know, Jack Ryan in the mid nineties movies or for Han Solo or Nana Jones. These are parts that suit him. He doesn't really have to go to those parts, they come to him basically. But I think it's kind of hard to have good chemistry with him, because he's, he's, he's just kind of himself in a lot of these movies, and and so it's kind of an accomplishment when somebody really clicks with him, and I think Sean Connery really clicks with him in that movie.
1: You know, and it, I, it's interesting because, you know, again, going back to what we are talking about Bond at the beginning and it being a solo act thing, and you, you never really got the sense that there was that much chemistry between Bond and some of the other actors on the Bond movies. Mm-hmm. To, to honest, occasionally, but... You know, when you think about, we talked about, you know, his, his on-screen chemistry with Michael Caine, his on-screen chemistry with Tippi Hedren, his on-screen chemistry with Donald Sutherland, his on-screen sc- sc- chemistry with, uh, uh, I just blanked. We were just talking about him, Han Solo. Which I don't know which one you're director, talking. Actor, The actor. Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford. Thank you. God, I'm getting old. I oh, happens to
0: me. Happens name. to me all the time. I totally
1: <laughs> completely, <laughs> completely blanked on his name there. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, you know, I, it, it's interesting, that thing with, with Connery, that sort of, as he sort of got, I think as he got older and stuff, you got more and more. I mean, even with Christopher Lambert, there was some good on-screen chemistry there. I think when it, when it clicks, it really does click, and it, it really adds to the movie. Um, mm-hmm. um, we'll talk a bit in a minute about what happens when there is no chemistry with these co-stars. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, so. I was just thinking if there was like a Mount Rushmore of American actors that would have been James Bond if James Bond were American, I think Harrison Ford would be up there. I think there was a period in the 80s that he would have been the American James Bond if, the, if, that, yeah. was the, if that was a thing. You know, I, it wasn't a thing ever, but that's, I think you that's know.
1: sort of what they did with his Jack Ryan movies. Yes.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. So. Um, okay, let's see. Are we up to my sixth now? Ooh, so my sixth is 1993, Rising Sun, where where he plays Captain John Connor. I keep waiting for the Terminator to show up. Uh, and and this was interesting. I re, I, re, I watched it back in the day, but I recently rewatched it simply because I I was on kind of a Michael Crichton book reading kick there for a while. And I was reading, I read several, I pretty much read all of the classic Crichton books that I hadn't read for the first time. And uh, one of them was Rising Sun, and then I went and found the movie and watched it again to see how it, to remind myself how it stacked up. And it wasn't bad. I, in fact, it felt like that Crichton wrote the book with Connery in mind to play that character all along. And it's, I mean, it's basically... Um, Even though it came out in 93, it has a very much of a kind of like a late 80s feel back when, you know, the United States was kind of obsessed with Japan there for a while in the 80s. And there were movies like Gung Ho with Michael Keaton, you know, about the car industry and all. And there was there was like this whole obsession with Japan. In the 80s, that they were outperforming us economically, you know, and we needed a, they were going to buy Hawaii and they were going to buy the United States and everything. We kind of had this obsession there for a while, and this movie kind of is Michael Crichton's take on that, which doesn't get made. It was his book that gets made into a movie by by '93, and but the thing that I like about this movie really is Sean Connery playing the. Um, again, now he is once again both the mentor and the leading man. Here, his Robin kind of is Wesley Snipes as a junior detective uh, working with Connery. And I was, you know, one of the things I was going to point out earlier that this kind of reminds me of is. Now we're to these movies where Connery doesn't just play the mentor as well as the leading man, and he's starting to slide more and more into mentor and less and less into leading man, but he's still a leading man here. We're also in this vein of movies where Connery is the mentor, and he's kind of on the outs with the administration in whatever situation he's in, right? So, like, here he's kind of the renegade detective that the police department doesn't like working with because he does things differently than they would prefer, you know, it's kind of like, it's not Dirty Harry, but it's that same idea where they all respect his abilities, but they don't like his methods. And, um, and it's the same, you know, he, he's, he's a similar character in another movie that I'm going to mention as my seventh movie. But, but you start getting, and it's kind of the same way with The Name of the Rose, right? Because in The Name of the Rose, he's the detective monk. But he's a monk, and the other monks don't like him so much because of his methods. You know, he reads too many books, and he thinks too scientifically. So I like the idea that he's, all, that he's not just the mentor. He's the dangerous mentor that is suspected by his peers, and he has to prove himself to his apprentice and to his peers and his superiors in his work, work environment. He plays that character over and over and over. He, I mean, he's kind of that a little bit in Hunt for Red October. You know where he's got those the Russians around him that are like his mentor. He's the mentor for, but then there's the guys back in Moscow that don't like his methods, and especially when he steals a submarine. You know, so he really does kind of get into this whole persona there in the from about from starting in 1990 uh, of being that kind of character. So have you have you seen Rising Sun
1: or read the book? Uh, I haven't read the book, but yes, I've seen it. Um, Mm -hmm. not, Not watched it in a long, long time. I think I saw it around the time it came out and maybe mm-hmm. on video. But, um, yeah, I mean, I remember it. Uh, but not, I wouldn't say it was, like, in my top ten. Obviously not, because it's not on my list. My mm-hmm. top ten Connery uh, movies. Um, I, I just thought it was a, a reasonably good action buddy cop movie, mm-hmm. it's my particular memories of it. But uh, not much else more than that, to be honest. Um, but you're right, yeah, stealing a submarine will piss people off.
0: Um, (laughs) Yeah, no, I think in in this one, I think what I really appreciate about this one is that Connery kind of plays a modern day version of those James Clavell characters that I love that understand Asian culture better than most white people around them or Wesley Snipes, who is, is black in the movie, obviously white. And so he kind of acts as the bridge kind of interpreting Asian culture for us, the audience, and for the people around him in the movie, in the story. I kind of enjoy those kind of stories
1: yeah I like those I, I mean I, I like ones that introduce um, different cultures and open your eyes up to different cultures mm-hmm. be it through either travel, you know it's what a lot of the, the early Bond movies did you know if it's something they've lost is that uh, that's true travel uh, aspect um, or through this, that sort of thing where you you know you have a character who understands a different culture and as you said acts as that sort of interpretation and the bridge or better yet you actually have somebody from that culture be a central part of the movie um, mm-hmm learn through them yeah um, yeah I like those sort of movies and mm-hmm. there's, there's a couple of other ones that uh, you know um, I don't know you know Russia House is another one that sort of springs to mind yeah um, that's so, true yeah yeah. alright I think we're to your last one well actually considering my last what, what my last one is I think you should go first and then
0: we'll do uh-huh. my last one okay cool I'm, I'm up for that so my last one 1996 The Rock because again right I mean th- you see this trend I just I, to me this is the most interesting thing I've discovered in going back and revisiting my seven movies, is how much in the eighties and nineties Connery went from being the stud, studly leading man to kind of morphing into this uh, you know master apprentice relationship with the other characters in the movie, and then eventually becoming like the the mentor. So here we you know here we promote the Christian Slater character from sort of naive young kid all the way up to pretty competent guy who still has a lot to learn from Sean Connery, right? It's just he's a little more, you know, professional and settled into his career. And then he has to work with Connery, who they have to get out of prison because Connery's so dangerous, you know. Um, but this is a cl- another classic movie that I think has aged pretty well. and People love it. You hear people talk about it all the time. Uh, and one of the, I think, one of the interesting things about it too is that even the villain in it is somewhat sympathetic not obviously in his methods but you know the the main villain in ed harris his whole cause is he wants reparations for slain american servicemen and so i mean who could argue with that you know he just is going to kill a whole lot of people who doesn't get it so he's kind of gone off the deep end with it but his his actual you know he's not wanting to be rich he's wanting to help families of of slain servicemen so it's there's a lot of moral ambiguity in this movie in that way and then you know this is back in the day, back in the mid '90s, when Nicolas Cage was very—I mean, you can you can mock him as an actor for sure, but he—this is in his wheelhouse, right? That those late '80s and mid '90s movies, where um, where Cage could play the slightly wacky Gonzo leading man who still has a heart of gold, like in the you know like in the National Treasure movies, stuff like that, you know. He's very likable in that way and sympathetic, and Connery just has no patience for, you know, incompetence and his dumbness. And so they have really, honestly, they have really good chemistry in this movie, which I wouldn't have expected. And then Ed Harris is a good villain, because he's always solid in everything. And so this is just a great, great uh and, and, and again, this is another one of those movies where Connery has special knowledge, right? He he had special knowledge of Japan and crime in Rising Sun that made it very, you know, enjoyable because he shared it with Wesley Snipes and therefore with the audience. And in here he has special knowledge about I mean he's some people have said he's basically James Bond in this movie after Bond retired and got thrown in prison for doing some, you know, off the book stuff. And I have a hard time refuting that. So what are your thoughts about The Rock and this theory that this is basically a later-day James Bond
1: movie? Um, Yeah, one, I love the movie. I think it's Nick Cage, Michael Bay at the best. Mm I mean, it's crazy. It's over the top, um, (laughs) but it's awesome. Uh, (laughs) And um, Yeah, for me, this is Connery playing... Bond. Um, this is his last outing as Bond, I think. Mm. Um, I have no no problems thinking that that <laughs> character, um, forgotten what his character's name was, but uh, Mason, I think John John Patrick Mason. I just, looked, yeah, I have no problem believing that that's uh, you know potentially could have been James Bond um, or a retired Bond. Um, it, it comes across like that. I think it, I think is a great great way for him to to bow out with that sort of character. And again, as you said, it's a, it's another example of a great. Uh, Relationship and mentorship um, thing that he, he developed um, hmm. towards the end of his career, I thought, uh, from the 80s and 90s onwards, uh, taking on those roles, I think really became his forte. And I think this is a perfect example of it. I and mean, it's just a great action movie, um, you know. And hmm. as I said, it's Michael Bay before he became fully Michael Bay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For all that that entails. As he set pieces and stuff. But uh, yeah. yeah.
0: No kidding. A,
1: a, a, good, a, a, good, a good Friday night with a beer and a pizza movie.
0: Yes. Absolutely. Yes. All right. I gotta hear what your last one is now. This should be fun.
1: So, so my last one is Connery's last one. Oh. All right. Which is League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Ah This yes. is the mov- this is the movie that made Connery retire from movies. <laughs> oh, God. He has not made a movie since.
0: Thanks, Alan Moore. One.
1: Yeah, nothing to do with Alan Moore. And I don't think anything to do so I mean basically this was a as you said, he he turned down Lord of the Rings to do this one. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He liked the source material and who didn't, the original league was a great thing. Um I actually think there was a good idea and a good script here. If you've read the novelization, you, you sort of realize what how good this movie or what potential it had. It was never gonna be as good as the, the source material, but mm-hmm. I mean, you know, how different, you know, you've got all those great characters and yet somehow um, they managed to screw it up. Uh, And again, you know, this is one where Connery has like no chemistry with his co stars. Um, It comes across pretty quickly that he feels he's in the wrong place doing the wrong thing. Um, And there's such a mess around him, unfortunately. But I actually think if you take his performance in isolation, I think he does a really good job of playing one of my favorite. Characters, which is Alan Quartermain. I think he plays a brilliant Alan Quartermain. Mm. And you know what makes me wish I wish we'd have seen a, a Sean Connery Alan Quartermain movie movie series. That's something he could have done because Quartermain he's in his fifties and sixties by the time in the in the books, having actually written a couple of Alan Quartermain novellas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he he's around that age. Uh, you know, when I write Alan Quartermain stories, it's Connery it's Quartermain that I sort of have in my mind's eye. Um, so um yeah i I think that there's a great missed opportunity here with the with the mess of this movie, but obviously he got so fed up with everything that went on with this movie um and you could probably write a book about this movie and, and all the things that went on with it um that uh he he basically walked away from Hollywood after this movie, which is hmm. a real a real shame uh, as you said because I think you know the movies he was doing the roles he were he was taking uh, were good I think he had a good role here it was just everything else around him. Um, and how, you, you know, it ended up being a mess of a movie, a boring movie, uh, pretty indecipherable movie. Um, and so, you know, unfortunately, um, th- that was the end of his career, which is said that started in 1954 and went all the way to 2003, over 70 movies. Um, unfortunately, I think there could have been a better way for him to bow out than this one. But ha- having said that, I think he did a good job within the confines of the movie himself
0: do you do you wish he had done the Lord of the Rings or are you happy with Ian McKellen?
1: Oh no, I think Ian McKellen is yeah was perfect
0: yeah, <laughs> I think that would have been more so, stunt casting or than anything else
1: yeah, and unfortunately, I think that you know from a from that point on it uh, you know I think that was the other thing that he was getting a bit fed up of he was getting cast because he was Sean Connery not because they were good roles hmm yeah, that makes uh, sense you know, so um, makes sense. Uh, he was becoming the, the token stunt cast which you know I think as long as they were paying him he was sort of alright with up to a point but I think this was the breaking point <laughs> <laughs> but I wouldn't necessarily recommend unless like me you're a complete Alan Quartermain geek I wouldn't necessarily go on watching. this is the one movie on the list that I wouldn't necessarily recommend that you, you go dig out and, and watch again but uh
0: yeah, I've, it's actually a movie I've had on my like my phone or my iPad or whatever in digital form for like fifteen years, and it's always like when I go and say, "Oh, what am I going to download on there just to have if I ever feel like I'm you know if I'm sitting around a hotel room or something." or I'm by myself and I want to just watch a little bit of a movie. I'm in the car waiting on, you know, pick up my daughter from some meeting or something. You know, and I'm like, "Oh, let's put let's put League of Extraordinary Gentlemen on there." I, I saw it when it came out, and I've never watched it the second time, and I've had it on video forever. And I'm like, "Let's just put that on there. I'm sure I'll want to watch that, and I've never pulled the trigger on it not a single time in 15 years." So <laughs> I have a DVD. That, that it on says DVD, a lot.
1: But, yeah. Yeah. But I I don't watch it that much, but Yeah. Um, yeah
0: yeah that's the thing I've, I've never I just never have felt the need to uh, to fire it up I, I, there's always something that I'm like oh I'd rather watch this so I so now when people tell me you know it was disappointing or they don't like it or it wasn't good I'm I'm just kind of like I guess I, re- I don't remember like running around going well that was awesome I just remember kind of going
1: eh okay I think it's one of those movies that commits the worst sin in movies it's boring yeah yeah but other than Connery, I think Connery's the only bright spot in it. So,
0: yeah. So yeah. well,
1: and it's too uh, bad so too I, b- because I'm not, I'm not a cheerful note <laughs> <laughs> that rounds out our list of fourteen movies.
0: It does. Yeah, that was a nice trip down memory lane with uh, with, uh, with uh, Sean Connery. So, who are we going to do uh, the next time we do
1: one of these? Well, it should be George Lazenby. Do you think we'll find fourteen George Lazenby movies I to talk t- about?
0: That's what I'm. That's kind of why I'm asking you. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm not sure I'm going to find one George Lazenby movie other than <laughs> other than the one we've already reviewed that I'm that I'm, gonna, I'm interested to watch. So, uh, did he do anything else?
1: Yeah, he did. He okay. did. He did quite a, a lot of TV. An awful lot of mm-hmm. TV. Okay. Um,
0: I don't know if we can do a whole show just on him. Maybe we can reference him as we go into the.
1: I would suggest we do Roger next, and yeah, maybe we do a. George and Timothy, George Blazenby Timothy Dalton
0: one that's a good idea yeah yeah kind of combine them together yeah that's a great idea yeah so why don't we do uh, we do Roger next yeah so so. do we want
1: to recap our list of movies let's Um, do it
0: okay so let's go back and forth you started us out with
1: Hell Drivers from 1957 which is available on Amazon Prime if you want to go watch it
0: and you get let's give a thumbs up or a thumbs down so you give that one a
1: thumbs up oh yeah way thumbs up yeah okay I definitely it
0: I'm definitely going to have to see this. And again, I want to see Hell Drivers, and I also want to see Hell Drivers of 1957. I, just want to, I want that movie to be made now as a period piece. Uh, my first one was A Bridge Too Far, two thumbs way up for me.
1: Okay, my second one was Marnie. Uh, Alfred, if you like Hitchcock's mm-hmm. 10 psychological thrillers um, and that make you a bit uncomfortable, um, I would give it a thumbs up if you don't. Um, then avoid it.
0: <laughs> yeah, good. Interesting. I, I do want to see that too. I, I, just almost every movie you mention, I'm like, dang it, I got to go see these. Uh, I mentioned Outland Second, and honestly, it's, it's like for completists, watch it. If you like the very simplistic Western type story, sure. If you want to see like a side story, like a novella set in the alien universe, kind of, yeah. I didn't mention, but. Um, Peter Boyle is the vi- is the main villain, the head of the company and I enjoy him in this role um, as just kind of like plays a lot of golf and sits around waiting to kill Sean Connery that's pretty much all he does in this movie but he's still, he's Peter Boyle, he's pretty entertaining uh, so I'm going to give this one a, I'm not going to give it a thumbs up or th- I'm going to give it a meh I'm doing my hand back and forth meh, you know, with uh-huh. qualifications
1: okay uh, so my third one was The Man Who Would Be King from 1975, Tour of fours from Connery, Michael Caine. Definitely. Uh, just go watch it. Go I'm, on
0: movie. I'm on my way to see it immediately. Uh, my number three was Highlander. And, of course, I'm thinking almost everybody that's probably listening to this has already seen it at least once. But if you haven't, oh, yeah, man, this is a great movie. So It's a weird movie, but it's a great movie. So go see Highlander.
1: Uh, next on my list was the first Great Train Robbery from 1978. Oh, um, again, a good if you like heist movies, uh, Victorian crime movies. It's a good fun uh, period heist movie. Other than that, yeah, it's okay. It's good. It's a good Saturday, rainy Saturday, af- rainy Sunday afternoon
0: movie. Yeah, I've, I've got a I got to catch up to that one. I know I've seen part of it. Uh, let's see, my fourth one was The Name of the Rose from 1986. If you like Sherlock Holmes type stories, absolutely. If you want to see Christian Slater when he was about 17 years old, <laughs> um, and and yeah, if you like you know evil evil monks, evil priests in medieval settings, there's a whole lot. It's just a really fun movie to watch. It's got a lot going on visually. I I give it a thumbs up. Some people don't like it as much, but I give it a thumbs up. Oh, and by the way, I meant to say they actually made a TV series out of this last year. On it's that's on. I think it's a European show, but it's on Amazon. And um, I can't think of the actor that plays the main character in it, the Connery character. But apparently, it didn't get the greatest reviews, which is disappointing because I was so excited when I heard they made a show out of it. But apparently, it's like uh, not a very great job they did with it. So, oh well. All
1: right. Okay, might be worth a look. Yeah. Okay, uh, next up on my list was uh, Connery's Oscar-winning performance in The Untouchables. Um, mm-hmm. Again, good period crime movie. Um, yeah, actually a really a really good movie, good tour de force from most of the actors in it. Um, if you haven't seen it, highly recommend you go watch it.
0: Yeah, and The Hunt for Red October from 1990, absolutely great. Great, great submarine movie, great Cold War movie, great spy movie, great action movie. Uh, and I think that probably most people would agree that As good as Harrison Ford was, I think the best Jack Ryan ever was probably uh, a a fairly young um, uh, Alec Baldwin
1: in this movie. I would second that that Alec Baldwin should Mm -hmm. stay playing Jack Ryan. Um, Okay, Um, my sixth one was uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. As I said, Han Solo and James Bond punch Nazi's. (laughs) What more do you need? (laughs) What more can you? Yeah, uh, two thumbs, two thumbs way up on that one.
0: Uh, Rising Sun, 1993. Yeah, I mean it's you know Crichton did a, a Crichton did several books there in like the 90s, the the late 80s and the 90s where they were just sort of domestic stories like investigating the airplane crash or sexual harassment in the workplace. Michael Douglas seemed to pop up in half of them, and this is just another one of those. It's kind of like a domestic. Detective story that involves the Japanese and Japanese culture. So, yeah, I mean, if you like a good, if you know, like a good, like a kind of a Michael Connolly story, yeah, then yeah, thumbs up for this one. It's not the greatest thing ever, but it's fun, sure.
1: And rounding out my list was the one that killed Connery's career League of Extraordinary Uh, Gentlemen. If you're interested, just from a historical point of view, to see Connery's last movie role, okay, uh, maybe you want to watch it for that. If like me, you're you know you, you like the character of Alan Quartermain, it's interesting to see how Connery attached that. But if you're looking for an entertaining, well-written superhero movie, this is not it. Um, so. <laughs> it. It's a historical historical curiosity only, I would say.
0: And then lastly, I had The Rock, which I think we definitely are thumbs up on because not only is it a really fun uh, action thriller from the mid '90s, but it may very well be the last. Sean Connery James Bond movie with a retired James Bond brought out of prison to save the day alongside a crazy wacky as usual uh, uh, Cage Nicholas Cage so yeah we, we love the rock so well there we go there cool. we go we did it we took care of Connery he is sorted
1: as they say so uh, I'm sure people sure, sure people will send it. you know, will be posting. <laughs> things on uh, on Twitter and stuff that hey you forgot this one and you forgot yeah that one. there' are so many, so many others we could have talked about
0: all right mean, I know we're gonna get how could you forget blank right and we're gonna get them everything from Russia house to whatever else is true but but yeah, these are the ones that came to mind first. And I just kind of went with my first instincts. And, then, and I think that we've, we've uh, listed some pretty good ones. And maybe some that not everybody has seen recently. I doubt that people have gone out and seen the name of the rose or rising sun lately, for example. And, I, and there's a couple of years that I think probably people had, had maybe not even heard of, which I'm really right. glad that you brought to their attention.
1: Yeah, I'm sure there's a huge number of people who are fans of the of so. <laughs> Hell Drivers of 1957.
0: Hell Drivers, <laughs> man, I got have it! All right, well, I think we're gonna wrap it up there then. That was awesome. Great job, Alan, and as always, and uh, you guys go out and uh, and and check these movies out if you haven't seen them, and, and let us know what you think and what we missed. And uh, the next time we convene for another Bond show, I guess we'll probably do uh, 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 Roger Moore. And meanwhile, we've yes. got uh, we've been if you don't know if you're if you're listening to this on the on the uh, on her Majesty's Secret Podcast Network, we've also uh, Alan and I have been reviewing racing classic racing movies, and we've done several of those already, including like Ford versus Ferrari and uh, Le Mans and uh, Grand Prix. And we've got uh, another one of those coming up sooner or later, right? What are we doing next? I can't remember.
1: Uh, we're doing Driven next.
0: Driven. Oh, Lord help us. That's right. Are we going to do Senna? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll do that We'll
1: do one? Senna.
0: Okay. Yeah. I, I watched it a while back, and I don't remember much about it, because it's more of a documentary than an actual movie, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Well, there, okay.
1: Well, we'll there you go. On this one, we'll, we'll, we'll be back with uh, Roger Moore. We've got to put our thinking caps on now and see if we can uh, we'll do it. come up with a list and see if we get got any duplicates this time, or we do the same <laughs> thing. Yeah. <and come laughs>
0: All right. Well, on her amazing secret podcast is going to get out of here for another episode. We will see you guys down the road. Bye. Bye. This has been a white rocket entertainment production.